This is the Austin Life Church podcast. For more information, please visit us at austinlifechurch.com. All right, so we are going to start today going through the book of Philippians. Um, So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn there. Uh, It it is, I don't know, halfway through the New Testament-ish, maybe. Um, So Paul, there's grouped four letters that Paul wrote, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, in that order. I always remember it as go eat popcorn. Um, Someone else said something last week that it was how they remembered it. I don't remember what it was, but that's how I remember it. Um, go eat popcorn, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Uh, so we are going to be in the book of Philippians. Um, and as we start, I just want, I want you to even take a second now, um, ask yourself this question, um, who, who are you? Or I guess if you're asking yourself, who am I? Like just internally ask it, who am I? How, how do I identify myself? Who, who would I, how would I answer or write my bio on something. Who am I? And then if you could have one hope or, or wish for the, the people next to you, what would be your desire for them? What would be your hope for the people sitting next to you, in front of you, behind you. So um, as, we, as we go about today, uh, we'll just keep going back to those two questions, really. Um, historically, Philippians was written by the Apostle Paul uh, with some help from Timothy. Um, and it was written, most guesstimate, around the year 62 A.D., uh, so if, if you're in, in chapter 1, right, and you look at verse 12 and 13, you can see that, uh, that Paul was in some form of imprisonment as he's writing the, the book of Philippians, uh, which most then assume that it was the time when he was historically imprisoned in Rome, which was the early 60s, uh, which is why most date the writing of this letter to 62 AD. And, and with Paul's imprisonment, um, not only is he incarcerated, but he faces a very real possibility of death because of his faith and his persistency in speaking the name of Jesus. Uh, and yet, one of the most common, if not the most common theme of the letter of Philippians is the joy that Paul has regardless of circumstances. Right? So one of the most misinterpreted verse in the whole Bible uh, comes from the book of Philippians. Any, any guesses? What? All things through Christ, right? Philippians 4, 13, I can do all things through Christ. By golly, I'm going to play in the N, B of A. Um, you know, like, we, we use that as that motivation, like, I can do all things. And the context of that is, is Paul is saying, whether I'm in prison or whether I'm free, whether I have food or whether I'm hungry, regardless of the circumstance, I can move forward and do all things because of Christ in me. Right? So it's a Christ in me enables me to endure and persevere joyfully in any circumstance. Right? It's not a I now have a superpower to dunk when I am a five foot eleven at best white guy with minimum hops. Right? Like, so, so that, it's, it's, that's, that's a major theme of the book of Philippians. Regardless of circumstance, there's joy, real joy that we can have in Christ. 
This letter uh, was brought to the church in Philippi, a church that Paul and uh, Silas and Timothy helped start 10 years, roughly 10 years prior uh, to when we get the letter written. So if you uh, have your Bible and you want to mark Philippians 1, turn back to Acts chapter 16, um, right? So that's a, it's about this many pages in mine. Uh, so if you turn to your left, about this many pages will be in Acts chapter 16. Um, Acts is the uh, really kind of Luke part 2. So just context, right? Uh, uh, the, Dr. Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke, and then he also wrote Acts, right? The, the Gospel of Luke is the, the story of the birth, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Acts now picks up from, okay, what happens to the church now that Jesus has ascended to heaven? And so we see the early makings of the, the, the church, the Christian church, throughout the, the book of Acts. In chapter 16, we see how the church of Philippi uh, got started. It says in verse 12 um, that, that Paul and um, Silas and Timothy were sailing from Troas towards Macedonia. In verse 12, uh, they landed at Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. And, and Luke says, we remained in this city some days. So we don't know how long some days is exactly, but the pattern, G Jesus, back in Matthew 28, the last things that Jesus said on this earth before he ascended to heaven was a commission to every person from that day throughout the rest of history was a commission that if you take on the name of Jesus, if you call yourself Christian, great, here are your marching orders. Go and make disciples of all people, baptizing them, and then teaching them to obey all that I commanded you. Right? So imagine that, that you know, the first church, Acts 1, says there was 120 people in Jerusalem. Right? So that, that's more than what is here today, but, but not too much more. Imagine we're that first church, and we're sitting there, and Jesus gives us instructions for how we go and be the church going forward. That instruction was, hey, go to all places from Jerusalem outward to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth and make disciples. Share the good news that they can have life with me. Baptize them as an outward sign that they are following me and then walk with them to grow in faith. Teach them to observe all that I commanded you. That is the commission. That is how every church began, right? And so some, like Paul, who were itinerant missionaries, or I love the people who started the church in Antioch, right? Anybody know their names? Nope, because it just said some of them. Like, they're so just everyday average people, they don't even list their names, right? And so the way churches would start is that, you know, a missionary like Paul or those who went to Antioch would go to a city, and whether they were there temporarily or whether that's where they were setting roots and building their family, they all carried with them because it's what their king told them this commission wherever you are whatever you're doing make disciples tell your co-workers tell your neighbors tell the people in market that their sins can be forgiven and they can have new life in jesus and they can follow him with the rest of their lives and so they would go to a city like philippi and they would share jesus and people would trust christ and they would baptize them, and then they would start walking with them to grow in faith, and they would say, okay, God, who's going to lead this new group of people? And they would entrust pastor elders, and a church would start. That's how every church 
in Acts in the New Testament began. And we see, and I think the challenge for us today is that that commission hasn't changed. Right? That, that commission for Paul in Philippi or those unnamed in Antioch or those in Thessalonica or Colossae, right? Oh, that commission, hey, go into that town and whether you are setting roots there or whether you are there just temporarily, you are called by King Jesus to open your mouth and tell others how they can have forgiveness of sins and new life in Jesus. And as they trust Christ, you, you baptize them. Next week, we're going to have a baptism services. If anybody's interested and wants to know more about that, let's talk. Right? We're going to do that next Sunday after worship. Right? You, you baptize them. That's a sign. Okay, this person has fallen Christ. And, and everyone here knows it. We walk together in that. And then you walk with them to grow in Christ. That, that's our commission. That is what we are here to do, is to make disciples of all people. And a church any church that is not actively doing that, any Christian that is not actively doing that, let's call it what it is, we are being disobedient to Jesus. Plain and simple. If our growth strategy is, hey, let's just try to attract a bunch of Christians, that's not a New Testament church. Right? If, if I think that I can just go to church and, and be good with my other church friends but not make disciples, let's be honest with ourselves and the Lord. We are not obeying the Great Commission. That, that is the mission that Jesus gave, not me, the professional, yes, me, the Christian, not, not just Charlie, but, but every one of us. If you take on the name of Jesus, that is what we are called to do. All people in all places and that is how his kingdom expands. That is how his church grows. That's, that's, that's where you don't just shift Christians from one church to another, but you see expansion happening into all peoples and all places. And so that's what happens in Philippi, right? The, in Acts 16, you see the first convert, the first person to trust Christ is Lydia, right? In, in verse 12, I'm oh, sorry, not verse 12, um, on, on verse 13, on the Sabbath, they went and they were outside the gates preaching, and one woman who heard them, verse 14, was named Lydia, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. Have you ever shared the gospel with someone or tried to share the gospel and it's like, I'm hitting a wall. Like there is nothing happening here. Like matter of fact, they're pushing back now. This is getting a little iffy, right? Okay, it's the Holy Spirit that does the initiating work to open our ears, our spiritual ears to hear truth, our spiritual eyes to see Jesus, our, our spiritual heart to believe. Without the Holy Spirit doing what he did for Lydia or for any one of us, we're too lost in sin. We'll never get there on our own, right? And so we, we share and we, we ask, and if if it seems like, okay, it seems like this conversation's moving forward, okay, then, then perhaps the Holy Spirit is giving that person ears to hear, let's speak, right? And if not, okay, then we're still friends with this person, we come back, but we can trust the work of the Holy Spirit to lead the way in evangelism, All right? And so Paul is preaching, and it says that Lydia um, hears the gospel, and she trusts Jesus, and she's baptized, and then verse 15, her and her household, and they all come to trust and to follow Jesus, the next one is a, a slave girl 
who um, by, by the words itself was probably a teenage girl, probably um, didn't have a family or she was away from her family, and she was under the service of um, these, these people who would use her as, as a diviner, a divination, um, a seer. And they would use this possessed little girl to bring in clients and, you know, read their palms or read a card or something, right, and give them their future. And this girl was just annoying. It literally says annoying Paul and, and, and Saul, or Paul, Saul was Paul, Paul and Silas and Timothy. And so Paul turns around and casts a demon out of her, and immediately she is made new. There's something different about her. And we don't see a whole lot about her story anymore, but context leads us to believe that she followed as well um, in faith with Jesus. So you've got Lydia in her household. She is a CEO, business owner, selling purple fancy goods. Like, lady is crushing it in the business world. Then you've got this slave girl, and then you've got the jailer and his family. Paul gets arrested um, because he's talking about Jesus, and he's casting demons out of people, and they're like, hey, that was our moneymaker, and she's no longer the same, therefore go to jail. And so he gets arrested, and in jail, they take every opportunity to share Jesus, and they're telling you know, the cellmates about Jesus. Uh, and, and one night, an earthquake happens, and all the doors fling open, and the jailer wakes up, and he's like, oh, dear, all the prisoners are gone. I, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm done. I'm going to lose my job. I'm, gonna, I'm probably going to be killed for this. So he pulls out his sword to take his own life, and Paul's like, whoa, whoa, whoa hey, we're all here. Like, how many prisons do the, the cells fling open and the inmates stay put? Right? I don't, I don't think that there's a high track record for that, right? But Paul had begun this movement within the prison system of sharing Jesus, right? And so Paul's like, no, we're all here. And the jailer goes, okay, there's something different about y'all, right? This is not how normal prisoners operate. Tell me what it is. How, what must I do to be saved? And so Paul shares the gospel with the jailer, and the jailer and his family are baptized and trust Jesus. And so now you've got Lydia and her household, you've got this servant girl, and you've got the jailer, and now a church is forming. These people who, we don't know the timeline, but days earlier did not have faith in Jesus, now they're all transformed. And what I love about the, the Philippian church, what social context does a CEO business owner with lots of money and a teenage slave girl and a blue-collar jailer and his family ever hang out together? Right? Where do those three worlds ever collide voluntarily? And yet, by trusting Jesus, all of their identities are changed. Lydia is no longer just a business owner. She is a Christian who happens to own a business. Right? This teenage girl is no longer just some teenage girl running on the street. She's a Christian who just happens to be a teenage girl. The jailer is no longer just a jailer, but he is a Christian who happens to be a jailer. None of them change their, their vocation, like where they're living. They're just now living it differently. The way they approach things are, are differently. Jesus is what unites these different people together. Jesus is what breaks down walls of race or social class or, or gender, or Jesus brings anyone together as one family who's trusted in Christ. If, if as a church we're not pro-diversity, we're going to hate heaven, absolutely hate it. 
Because it's going to be the most diverse, every trunk type, uh, tribe and nation is going to be represented, and we're all going to be one family. And that's what we see in Philippians is this unity that Christ brings together. This transformation of identity. Their lives are literally different because now they trust and follow Jesus. He leads the way for them. And this is how the church starts. This is the beginning of Philippians. And 10 years later, Paul is going to write this letter to, we assume, Lydia and the jailer and this girl and whoever else they've added to it. He's writing this letter. Now, why is he writing this letter? What's the, what's the motivation? Where the church began, we see, we'll see this throughout the book, but um, just some context. Where the church began with such unity, it's now starting to experience some disunity and hesitancy at sharing Jesus because of outside persecution and because of some disunity among the leaders within the church. And so Paul is taking the time to write this letter to encourage the church to joyfully live their lives in a manner worthy of Christ, maintaining unity with all and taking every opportunity to advance the gospel. Right? Why is the book of Philippians written? Right? What's our, what's our context for Paul's motivation? It's to encourage the church, every person who's a Christian in Philippi, to encourage the church to joyfully live their lives in a manner worthy of Christ. And to maintain unity with all and take every opportunity, whether in prison or selling purple goods, to share Jesus with those that God puts around you. And so Paul begins in verse 1. In his traditional way that he begins most of his letters, he says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul uh, typically begins his letters. I don't know enough uh, first century letter writing, but all of Paul's are this way, where typically we, we put our signature at the end of our letter or email, right? Um, they, they start with it, right? Hey, here's who's writing this. Here's the... the the, the people that are giving this, this is who's sending you this letter. And so we see that Paul and Timothy, um, Paul is the primary writer. Timothy is kind of the, the co-writer. They're the authors of this letter, and they identify themselves. They, they give their, their, hey, here's why you should listen to me, as servants of Christ Jesus. What, what's, do anyone have an email signature that's like preloaded? Yeah? Well, is anyone else's like mine? Like, so mine says, I didn't want this. Mike made me do it. Um, he said it was good for clarity or whatever. Um, so mine says, I'm like, Corey Johnson forward slash lead pastor. Um, so it identifies me when I'm sending that email. Uh, what, any of y'all have kind of an identifier as far as maybe your role or, or, or you know, yeah? Okay, you got, okay. What about like if you've ever written a letter and it's a more formal letter? You like sign it, you know, like your BFF, Corey or like yours truly or something, right? It's a way of saying like, not only is this the sender, but this is who this sender is, right? Your, your son or your friend or affectionately yours, right? Um, and, and so Paul and Timothy identify themselves in their letter as servants of Christ Jesus. That's who they are, which raises that question again, who are you? 
right? Like, what, how do you identify yourself? What's the lens with which you view the world and your life through? Who are you? Paul and Timothy identify themselves as servants of Christ Jesus. Stephen preached on this a month ago or so. You know, this word servant is the Greek word doulos, and it means bondservant or slave, one who was bound to the service of another. A bondservant is one who surrendered wholly to another's will and thus devoted to another to the disregard of his own interest. Right, so the Greek word doulos, which means servant, is one who is fully and wholly surrendered to the agenda and will of another. If I am a doulos to, to Stephanie, right, if I'm a servant to Stephanie, then it, my life is my, not my own, but I exist to please and to follow her orders, her will, her, her way. And, and so Paul and Timothy identify as a doulos of Christ Jesus. The word servant in the, in the Greek um, was, was, often, was manipulated. There were people that took advantage of slaves, that took advantage of servants. There were people that forced others into being a slave. But historically, it comes from the Old Testament and the Hebrew words, Hebrew words which, which typically meant contract laborer. Right? It was people that, for whatever reason, would, would sign a contract, and Stephen talked on this, would sign a contract to work for six years, and in that time, right, they had shelter, they had food, they earned money, they could even start families, right? So it was not at all this idea of like oppression and violence and you don't have any, you know, rights or freedoms. It was just you are signing a contract to work in this manner with this master for six years. And then when the seventh year hit, they were free to go. They, they, they were, their, their term was up. And they could go on, and they could take their money that they'd saved. Their family could go, right? If they had bought land, right? It was, that was their, how they lived life. But an option was that if they believed life in service to the master was better than life on their own, they could optionally choose to remain as a doulos for the rest of their lives, right? And Stephen mentions they would have a, an all pierce their ear, and it would be an outward sign that these people had given their lives to the service of that master, that they believed life serving that master would be better than life serving their own interest. And so there was the option to remain a doulos for the rest of life. Paul uses the word doulos in that context, that he had the option to live life to his own ways and to his own wills and to serve himself, or he could opt to live in service to Christ Jesus, that he would be at the will of Christ Jesus, that he would lay down himself, he would die to himself, as Jesus says in Luke 9, and instead live to the will and the desire of Jesus. And that is the doulos that Paul and Timothy describe themselves as that they have given up themselves and their rights and their wills and their ways in favor of Jesus. He is the master. What he says goes. Where he leads is where I follow. Now, why in the world would Paul and Timothy do that? Why, why would you and I consider being a servant of Christ Jesus, dying to myself in order to live to him? 
Paul in Romans 6, if you uh, want to look this up later, he, he writes that, that in reality, all of us are slaves to something. At the end of the day, all of us serve something or someone's will. Something or someone is telling us how to live life. Something or someone is telling us which direction to go, what to do, how to treat people, right? What ends should we pursue? For, for those in this context, a common, um, a common slave aspect would be to the government. The government says do this, that's what I do. Or to the Old Testament law. The Old Testament law says do this, so that's what I do. But that's being a slave to that institution. At its foundational level, Paul says that we are all slaves to sin. That, that all of us, no one is omitted. Right? This isn't for other people. This is me, you. We, we are all slaves to sin. The Bible teaches that sin is anything that goes opposite of God. Any action, any thought, any motive that is contrary to who God is and what he says to do. And, and Paul teaches in Romans 6 that all of us, we're not, we're not truly free, but we're slaves to ways opposite of God. I want to live this way. She tells me to do that. Money tells me to pursue this. Comfort tells me this is how I live life. For all of us, there's something, someone calling the shots. And, and so Paul, he, he, he looks at those options, and we'll get to this in Philippians 3, and he he weighs them, and he says, man, there's really only one way of living, and that's the way of following Jesus. Everything else, whatever gain it seems, is just going to end in loss. It's just going to lead to death. Paul and Timothy submitted to the will and way of Jesus because they believed that Jesus was the way, the truth, and the life, and that every other option leads to death. That only Christ leads to life. And so they gladly, joyfully opted to lay down their will and their objectives for Jesus. To trust him, to follow him. They're servants of the Most High King. That's how they identify themselves. So what about you? How do you... We've been Asking this question, hope you've thought about it some, how do you identify yourself? Who calls the shots for your life? Who is your, your master? There is always something or someone. In our context, that something or someone, it may be autonomy, right? I, I call my shots. I am my own master, right? But, but come on, we've seen Aladdin. Y'all didn't see that coming, did you? That's not in the notes either. So I, I didn't see it coming either. I didn't see it coming either, right? But, but how, how does, what's the bad guy's name? Jafar? How, how, does he get, how does he get beat in the end? Hey, you know who's more powerful than you, Jafar? Genie. The only way for you to be the most powerful is for you to be in charge of everything, right? Let's tempt that, oh, I, I know best. 
I should be most powerful. I should be able to call the shots and lay the ways. Disney knows. That's the temptation. What happens to Jafar? Come on, right? So help me out. What happens to Jafar? He gets stuck in the lamp. Because the way of I know best and self-autonomy is a way of slavery to sin, according to Paul. It is a way of death, right? Some of us, man, what calls our shots is security with a certain amount of money in our bank accounts. I have to know that there will be this money. I have to know that five years from now, if A, B, and C happens, cool. I've prepared myself and my family. I have to know that when I retire, I don't have to, it, that I get to retire, right? Like, that's what calls our shots and demands how we live, right? In this context of Austin, man, pleasure. I just want to, I want to fill my life, right? So I, I order my life. I'm controlled by what gives me the most pleasure. I believe A, B, and C will make me happiest. Therefore, that's what controls my life. Right, so who, who are we? We've got to do some introspection. Who, what drives me? What tells me how I'm going to treat people or talk to people or respond to situations? What tells me how I'm going to treat money or food or, or, or people? Right? What, what drives us? What are we serving? Who are we serving? Make no mistake, we are all a doulos. We are all a servant to something or someone. The invitation from Jesus is that when we trust him and die to to ourselves and live to him, that and that alone is when we find real life. You know, we sang this song um, right before this, uh, Freedom, that you would take my place. The lyrics, come on, man. Thank you, thank you. I don't know the lyrics off the top of my head. Let me find it. We're going to do this. I'm already in. It's on the left side. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, here we go. Chorus. You don't need this again, do you? Cool. Okay. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love that you would take my place, that you would bear my cross. You laid down your life that I would be set free. Oh, Jesus, I sing for all that you've done for me. Let me, let me, let's just talk, you know, we're family here, let's just talk candidly. Those lyrics should emotionally move us. The reason they don't is we are born into a free country with pretty much everything at our disposal. We don't know what it looks like to be slaves or to be in captive, in captivity. And so we're like, Jesus, you've set me free. I guarantee you, if we were, go back to Habakkuk, and not in freedom, and then we are, it's a whole different ballgame, right? Like, unrestrained celebration. Because I was a slave, and now I'm free. I had a debt I could never pay back. Come on, if student loans are forgiven, how many of you are like, let's, let's party, like dinner's on me tonight? Right? If we have a debt that we can never pay back and then by someone it's erased clean, come on, y'all. We're, we're, 
That's why these songs are not just karaoke, right? We're not just singing lyrics that mean nothing. We have to do the work because he deserves our praise, right? He deserves our heartfelt, I will lose myself because you already lost yourself for me. We got to get outside of our, I'm concerned what others are going to think or how I'm going to feel. or what. This is our, our king that, that took our place and laid down his life so that we could be set free. Right, that, should, that should move us. And if it doesn't move us, okay, we don't need to fake anything or force anything, but we need to be humble enough to go, okay, wh- why? Why doesn't this, you know, move the monitor of my heart's affections for the one that set me free? We just need to ask that question. Be honest. Right, if we really believe that Jesus forgives our sins. Why in the world would we not tell our family members or our neighbors or our coworkers? Right? Like, this is what it, so, so, so what is controlling us? Right? What, it, what are we serving? We're serving something. And Paul and Timothy, they say, man, we, we are servants of Christ Jesus. He is our master. He wholly calls the shots. Have you surrendered your life and faith to him? Have you, have you trusted him? Have you said, okay, I die, Jesus, I choose you. I'm, I'm following you. That's what Lydia did when her ears were hoping to hear the good news. She said, oh, man, I've been a worshiper of God, it said, but something was different. She didn't know the full picture. She said, I trust and follow Jesus. Have you trusted him? Now, we're not going to be perfect. Come on. Right? How many of you have been a Christian and since that time of becoming a Christian have sinned again? Anyone? Whew, good, I'm not alone. How many of you since being a Christian have sinned in ways you're like, dear Lord God, I never, I never thought I would. Anyone else? Oh, yes, good. That's not, that's not good news, but I'm not, so I'm not alone, right? Like, you know. So we're not going to be perfect, right? There's still times where, I mean, I've given my life to Jesus, but man, in this moment, in this day or this week, right, I'm, I'm living for myself. In this action, I'm choosing to, to serve something else, right? Okay. Let's own that. Let's confess that, right? Let's lay it down and say, Jesus, I'm sorry. I'm back. Let's go. That, that's, salvation is a moment where we trust Christ and we're brought from death to life. Sanctification is a process. The process of becoming like Jesus for the rest of our life, and that process is going to have some ups and downs, some backs and forwards, right? But we continue to move forward. We don't have to be ashamed that we've fallen. That's, you're human. We receive the grace of God and we move forward because we are servants of Christ Jesus. So the question is, what are we serving? Who are you? What defines you? What, What charts your course? Paul and Timothy were servants of Christ Jesus. And they wrote this letter to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, right? So the, the writers, the authors, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, and they're writing this letter and sending it to 
all the saints, all the Christians, everyone who is, what's the phrase? In Christ Jesus. Paul uses that phrase a ton, to be in Christ, to be in Jesus, to walk in him, to live in him. Right? That means that I have trusted in him and his spirit unites me as a part of him. Right? For our, our college students that were at Ignite this, this last year, right? We, and I've done this here too, right? Where you, you pull off the branch and you're like, oh man, we're disconnected from the tree, right? A branch cannot live separated from the tree. But the good news of God is that when we have disconnected from him by Christ, we can be grafted back in. We can be rejoined to the source of life. And so to be in Jesus is not just to have faith in him, but spiritually we are united with him. We are a part of his family, right? So whether you're in Austin or Tuscaloosa or, oh, that's a terrible town. I don't know why I said Tuscaloosa, right? Or wherever you are, if you are a Christian, you are a part of his family and his body. Now we just have to live like that, right? We have to live connected. If this is your church home, if you're a member here, then you have a role to play. As much as my arm has a responsibility to my body, you have a responsibility to your church, right? If if my right leg is like, I'm not going to work anymore, my whole body suffers, yes? Y'all want to experiment this week? Try, Try to live life with only one leg. Tell me how it goes. Right, you will suffer. And and yet that's what Jesus tells us. Once we trust Christ, we are a member of his body. Us not doing our part in the church is like my right leg not working anymore. The whole body will suffer. So he's writing to all who are in Christ Jesus, who have trusted Christ, but then also he he specifically calls out the overseers and the deacons. The overseers, um, words that are often used there, elders, pastors, right? The, the pastors of the church. And then the word deacons means servants. Those who tangibly you know, execute the mission. Those who tangibly you know, get their hands in, in the dirt and, and move things along. Right? So if you see the difference, some history, Acts chapter 6. If you want to turn back to that real quick. Acts chapter 6, verse 1, a complaint rose up because the widows of the Hellenists were being neglected in the daily distribution, right? So there were widows in that church community that were being neglected by the pastors, the apostles, the overseers. And and, and it goes on, it says, the 12, the pastors, the elders, summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. All right, so you see, that's the formation of elders and deacons. All that means All that means, right, God has called some to lead in one way. God has called others to lead in another way, right? Elders are called primarily to to pray for the church, to know the church, to teach the church, to lead the church, right, to give direction for the church. And the deacons come, and they tangibly serve the congregation, right? So they're, they're leading out just in a different capacity, just in a different way, right? My arm is not going to do what my leg is going to do. My leg is not going to do what my kidney is going to do, right? One's not more important than another, 
They just have different roles so that the body comes together. And so Paul calls out the elders, the pastors of the church, who are called to lead the church, and the deacons, the ones who take the leadership and execute and implement the leadership throughout the church. And he calls them out specifically because it's among those leaders that disunity has begun to form. We'll see this later in Philippians. And Paul knows that the church will never outpace her leaders. Right? What kind of organization outpaces its leadership? It doesn't. If the leadership is crummy, the organization will be crummy. If the leadership is solid, the organization has a chance. The organization will not outpace her leaders. If they do, they're just going to go start a different organization. Right? How, how many sheep outpace the shepherd? Oh, they're going to wander down a cliff. No, it's the shepherd that leads them, right? So Paul knows, okay, if our leaders are disunified, so will the rest of the church. And so he's writing this book, this letter to Philippi for all Christians, but he's telling the leaders, hey, leaders, listen up. Get your stuff together. You've been called and entrusted by God. Step up. Lean in. Listen. And then he concludes that, his introduction, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is his one-sentence summary of his true desire for the people. May you know the grace and peace of God for you. That is purchased and secured by Jesus Christ. Grace is an undeserved kindness and merit. We just, just read it. This is amazing grace. That he would take my place. That, that he, the king, would humble himself to serve me, the, the servant. And not only that he would serve me by you know, washing my feet or, or caring for me, but that he would serve me to the point of death on a cross. That my wrongs, my guilt against God, would be nailed to him on the cross. Not his wrongs, not his guilt. He was innocent. This is the grace of God that that though you and I, don't think of anyone else right here, you and me, me, I, I chose to walk away from God, and the grace of God is that he came and pursued me through Jesus. That Jesus left what was rightfully his, we'll see this in Philippians 2, and he came to me while I was actively rebelling and moving away. While I was still sinning, Christ died for me. The grace of God. This is an immense unbelievable you and I will never fully grasp the magnitude of his love for us and Paul's like oh God please let him know your grace it'll change everything let him know your peace let him know your your reconciliation where things are broken let him know that you are the fixer of those let them know that while they were hostile and far from you, you came to, to reconcile and to join them back to you in harmony and in love. I mean, think about that, right? How many, how many people have wronged you and you've, you've worked to reconcile? How difficult is it to not see them through the lens of how they wronged you? Right? How difficult is it when someone's wronged you, like, okay, I want, I want to work on this, but it's so tough to completely remove that offense and see them free of it. And yet in Christ, 
God removes our sins as far as the east is from the west, that our peace with him is not some probation, like, hey, if you earn it back, if if you're a good boy and girl long enough, then maybe. It's an immediate peace in Christ, that as God is at peace with the Son, he is at peace with us by faith in Jesus. And Paul's like, that's my hope for you, that as you read this letter, as we read this letter, that we will know the immense grace and peace from God our Father through the Lord Jesus Christ. It will change everything. It will absolutely change, not just us, but I promise you those circles of people that God has put in our lives will start to see that ripple effect of God's grace and peace in us move to those around us. We will see communities and cities and the world changed by the grace and peace of God our Father through the Lord Jesus Christ. So who are you? What are you giving your life to? Who are you giving your life to? What calls the shots? Who calls the shots? And what is your desire for those around you? May we serve Jesus with everything we have, and may our desire be that they would know grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks for tuning in to the Austin Life Church podcast. To help support us, please take a second to rate and review us on iTunes and visit us at austinlifechurch.com.